Hi guys, I'm Mitch Stocker and welcome to another episode of Life in the Peloton. Today we're talking with JJ Stein, the young South African mechanic on my team, EF Education First. It's been great to discuss with him the technical aspects of being a mechanic out on the road, how many bikes we have, the wheels, the tires and everything, let alone the life of a mechanic, in and out of the cars, late nights working on bikes, the joy of it. So that's coming up in the episode. But before we can get to the episode, I've got, I'm happy to announce that Life in the Peloton has partnered up with the podcast platform, Wide Angle Podium. Wide Angle Podium is a great cycling podcast network that have a bunch of other podcasts, including one of my personal favorites, the Slow Ride Podcast. Wide Angle Podium also offer a donation drive where anyone can choose to donate at their website, wideanglepodium.com or choose to subscribe to help us produce a better quality podcast. Donations can be a one-time thing or part of a subscription where donors will receive bonus content throughout the year. I'm going to do some extra stuff and try and put that out there so people who are subscribers are going to be able to get some extra content as well. So at the end of the day, it's a win-win, more content for you guys, and it's going to allow us to upgrade some of my material. As you guys know, it's not the best recording material out there and produce a much higher quality podcast for everyone to hear. I'd love to get your support, and this is your chance to give something back so I can keep giving you the insights to what life is like in the Peloton. So make sure you go over and check out their website, Wide Angle Podium. Check out their other podcasts at wideanglepodium.com. Okay, now on to the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, I bring you JJ the Mechanic. Cheers. All right, so we've got another technical one here today. We're talking with Jacques Chouan Stein, and he is a our mechanic on EF Education First. And this is your second year as a pro mechanic in the World Tour, is it? Yeah, that's my second year. But how many years have you been a mechanic for now? Run me through your mechanic lead up to now. So, so four years now in total in Europe. As for road cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, so two years before our team, where were you? I was with Dimension Data Continental Team. Yep. Um, and from there on, before that, uh, like, I was a race, well, I raced my bike before. Mm-hmm. And um, in the end, I didn't want to leave the sport, either if I'm a rider or whatever. Um, but then before, I was always in cycling. I've done eight Epsic Epics as a oh, mechanic. Yeah. Eight? Uh, eight. Wow. And I uh, started into probably the age of 11. I started being, that was my first as being a mechanic. And like you're always around in your home, fooling around with the bike. Yeah. And I just, okay, I got this opportunity to go and it was. Cape Epic was your first time when you were eight yeah. years old? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 11. 11, sorry. 11 years 11, old. 11 years old. And you, did you know enough then to mechanic? No. What were you doing? I was basically like, learn from someone else. Yeah. Um, look, see with the eyes and follow. And then later on, it makes sense on what doing this or that. Wow. And, yeah. So then, just to fast forward up to now, so you have... Have you done any official mechanic school? Does that even exist? Yeah, there is, there is a UCI mechanic school, hmm. um, which you can do if you go to the UCI, and you basically being qualified as a mechanic. You have a c- certificate and everything beyond the system and so hmm. on. But yeah, it's like they learn you basically from, from the start to the finish. From old school bikes to the latest bikes. But did you do any of that? No. How did you learn everything you know today? By basically playing around in your yeah. in your house. 
Did with you, your bike, you just going on and just make sense of how stuff is moving on the bike. Yeah. And being interested and having that, that, that mindset yourself that you wanted to mechanic your own bikes the correct way. Yeah. Also, like, my main thing is, like, as a racer, I always were back in my mind, like, you know, if this goes wrong, I can do this mm. or that. And, like, on the mountain bike scene, you have to know this stuff. Mm. Um, by just fixing it yourself, if it's repairable, if not repairable, your race is over. Mm. So were you racing mountain bikes before? Yeah, I started off in the mountain bike scene. Mm. Um, spent a couple of years there. Went over to the road and basically end my career. Not officially ended, but went to the track. Mm. It was something something new, something to try. How were you as a cyclist? I didn't even know. <laughs> Did we race together? No, 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 no. No, not at all. Yeah, it was probably, like, the big thing is, like, the racing in South Africa was pretty average. Um, there was no improvement in racing itself. Mm. Um, you have a 100k race, you can pick your top five sprinters. Mm. But then when it, that distance changes to a longer race, you have a different result. So for me, it got a bit boring. Um, mountain bike and road scene which were it was basically the same races year in and year out, the same course. Um, and also sponsorship-wise was hard mm. to, to progress in your, your career, to move forward, to go somewhere else, yeah. to race in Europe. I was lucky enough to, to come in 2014, come racing in Belgium for three months, and that just changed it. That was probably the best, racing I ever had and then going on to 2015 was my best cycling career right um, was, what, so what made you then eventually stop and go you know what I think I can do mechanicking or did you did it go the other way around you couldn't ride so you went I'm going to do mechanic no so I could always continue riding but I was just I just had enough at the moment or at that time of riding the same races, the same people, and there's never changed, and like, and there was no, like, basically it was hard to find sponsorship in South mm. Africa, build the team or just go around them. Mm. Um, so that just made me like, it was all parent, like my parents funded everything, mm. um, and I just thought like, you know, it's, sometimes it's gonna work, sometimes not, and. I just call it, it's like I had what I achieved and uh, like it's probably more. I had some dreams. It was still in the back of my mind now, but for the moment I'm on a different side of the yeah. the spectrum and I'm enjoying it. And you're it's, working your way up. Yeah. So then what was that exact moment? Where did you, when you decided to stop writing, were you like, someone came to you and said, hey, would you like a job as a mechanic or how did that all happen? So... Like, I basically had a... So it started in, well, my career, well, basically in 2015, it was... I was like, okay, I was in my form that I want to be, doing races that I want to be, and I performed well. But then, like, my dad came to me and was like, you know, you can do this as long as you want to, <laughs> but somehow you have to look in the bigger picture. Yeah. What you want to do one day. And that's where it started, like, changing a bit. It's like, okay, I need to, you know, you step into the adult life. You have to look after yourself. Where are you going? You can't live with your parents anymore and so on. So that's, that basically changed it. And I, I started then in 2015 um, doing a, a course as a tool and die maker. Oh. Because I always had the passion of doing something with my hands. Wow. And... Yeah, I didn't finish it because obviously then the following year in 2016, I went obviously to Dimension 8 Continental Team. But then how did that opportunity even happen? Was you yeah, so were you thinking ever about being a mechanic or it just sort of came about? Yeah, obviously through the, the eight years of the Absolute Cape Epic, it was, you know, it always had the passion for it. 
and I sort of just okay, you know I had I got this opportunity, um, basically they asked me, and I was like yeah sure because I obviously worked beforehand with yeah. the team when they were still empty in Quebec, yeah, um, and then it's like okay well I see how it goes and then <laughs> it progressed from there on. One um, thing led to another. Yeah, it was, it was basically they asked my brother-in-law that's racing for Dimension Data at the moment, and um, they asked him, "Oh, yo, do you know something?" And he said, "Yeah, just asked my brother-in-law." Hmm. And they asked me, and I said, "Well, oh, okay, yeah, let's go. It's a trip to Europe. It's uh, you can experience the world and you go forward." Yeah, nice. All right. Well, let's talk about some some logistical stuff now that I think a lot of people don't know and also I don't know sometimes. Yeah. Let's talk about our team. And I think some numbers are pretty ridiculous. How many bikes total does a team like us have? So at the current moment, each rider has got eight bikes. That's including the home bikes. So what is it? So we've got... So you have System 6 race, System 6 spare. Which are our fast bikes. Which, yeah. That's basically your aero bike. Yeah. You have three Evos. Which is our light yeah, bike. Light bike, which yeah. normally an all-round bike. Yeah. You have two time trial bikes, a yeah. race and a spare. Yeah. And you have three home bikes. So what are the three home bikes? It's your System 6 Evo. Evo and time trial bike. And time trial bike. Then, That's the general racing bikes for the whole year. Then come back to the classic season, your classic rider's got Synapse, yeah. which is your classic bike. Roubaix bike. Roubaix bike. So and then so. what was that? Eight bikes? No. How many bikes did you say per rider? Yeah, it was eight. Eight plus yeah. two yeah. extras. Plus two extras. So uh, let's like say ten. Ten bikes for some guys, it's eleven bikes. Fuck. That's just cover from going from your classic season over to your racing season so we're looking at what 250 bikes yeah minimum minimum right yeah it's uh, quite a lot all right the worst thing oh well that's the worst thing to do on a bike so when we come in so i want to talk a little bit about mechanicing now yeah the actual day in day out and I always imagine this you come in after a long day this is on the race yeah and I often come in off the bus and you guys you've been in the car all day as yeah. well and then I get there and the, the truck the back of the truck's open and everyone's working on the bikes and if there's been a crash that day I'm thinking mm. shit there's a lot of work to do on that bike replacing this replacing that what actually is the worst scenario to do on a bike one night after a long day Rebuilding a bike um, from a crash bike because that's the only moment it will happen if you have to rebuild the bike. And I think the next day it will be perfectly as the day before. Or the, the position. The position, every everything is functioning as it should be. So when you say a rebuild, just say someone's broken the frame in half. Do you have to strip the whole bike off strip and put on the, a new frame? So if it's... A broken frame that's normally caused by a crash yeah normally that's basically you you rebuilt the whole bike so new frame new stem new handlebar seat post change levers, all the cabling over cabling levers front derailleur rear derailleur pedals what are we talking about for a rebuild time it depends on which bike it is okay a standard bike the a Evo. standard bike I should say, like, if you have time in your hands, two hours. Wow. But that's going into, like, it's race. Like, all bikes we build is race ready. Yeah. But it's, like, the finer detail that matters. Yeah. And that's normally after a long day, like you said, like, some of the finer details you can miss. Yeah. Sometimes. And can frustrate you, I can imagine. Yeah. Because also, like, the next day it will cause you problems. Yeah. If, if you didn't do that the night before, it creates something else to the next day. Oh, yeah. Because I had written down there changing bars, and I can imagine 
if you have breaking of bars, which you're probably not going to have because the bars, I imagine, are really annoying to change because you've got the levers, you've got to put the cabling in, you've got to take the bar yeah. tape off. You know, I just imagine that would be the worst, the worst part to change. Um, in the car, now I find this really interesting. A day in the car. Yeah. It's a long day. It's a long day. It's... Tell me about a day in the car. Um, it's, it's a long day, like you said. It, there's many things that can happen. Um, if I take Flanders, that was a long day in the car. But a day that ended well and started well mm. for us. But there's so many things. Why did it start well? We, I told Andreas the night before we had this feeling. Like, tomorrow's the day. I told him when we start the classics, there's going to be one race that we will get. So either a big one or just a race. Yeah. He's like, and the night before I told him, he came to our garage where we were working. I said, tomorrow's the day. Huh. We're going to have it. And that just started, okay, everyone must have that feeling that... Tomorrow, all the bike race is going to have something. And that just, like, in the car, it, nothing changes in the car. Yeah. Like, you have you have the race radio. You have rider radios. You have sometimes car-to-car radio. All those things in mind, but also the different languages of the race radio they speak with the different numbers, time gaps. Mm. Um, that's a lot if you're not used to the languages to mm. pick it up um, that's something like I had to learn as being in the car yeah different languages obviously in Belgium and in Holland are you it, learning all, are you understanding the languages yeah, now now it's it's coming better and better and better mm. um, is that but, part of your job jotting down numbers and understanding the race yeah. radio yeah, so basically, like, the director always driving the car, he's doing the tactics. For me, as in the back seat, bidons, race radio, numbers, time gaps. And really? Then, then we can start looking. I give information to him. We have X amount riders in the breakaway from this, this, and this team. And he starts, okay, we have to, to you guys say maybe we have to change this put one or two three guys in front close. I didn't actually know you had to do the numbers from the break yeah. yeah have you missed a few numbers along the way depends on which yeah. language it is um, I- French is very difficult because yeah. there's a lot of changing but like from my first race of being in the car the French numbers I was just I don't know what to do so what did you do I was waiting. So normally, if it's a UCI, well, all the races are UCI, but mainly it's these three languages. Oh, yeah. Depends on the the race radio. But they always will have English in. Mm. So you wait for the English ones to come through. Yeah, and then slowly you start. But now you can actually get it before you have to wait for the English numbers. Yeah, yeah. so now I'm starting writing, writing down what I hear. Yeah. And then double, double check when the, the official language or mm. my preference of language comes through, mm. which is a big thing because like sometimes you you guess. Yeah, well, actually, yeah. it can be a big yeah. thing too because if we hear the wrong number up there, that yeah. can change the race. We need to get that break back. And then you just like, and right. we might even ask you double check, yeah. are you sure? And then you're like in the car going, oh, yeah, I am sure I heard that. Yeah, yeah, so we had like one race, yeah, which said it was like one of our guys were in there and he weren't supposed to be in the breakaway. Mm. And then they corrected over the race radio. Uh, it's rather, or number this, right? And we're like, oh, okay. Did you did, feel a bit of relief there? Because did you think that maybe you'd made a mistake? No, no, no. It was just, it was, it, all of us were like, yeah, but why would this rider go in the break? if the race was actually mm. meant to be for him or other way around. It was just... A wrong thing. Wrong thing. At the, and then it just it throws you around. You start thinking, like, yeah, but um, it can't be. 
So do you what, uh, do you listen to the the rider radio? Is that difficult for you to understand? Yeah, sometimes because obviously it's you have a lot of factors that plays a role in it. Mm. Um, each rider's got a different accent mm. that you pick up during the years with different riders. You know, okay, this actually this rider it's talking. Yeah. You have the wind on the microphone, even though it's underneath the jersey. Yeah. So you also have to listen to what they want. Um, like, for instance, in the classic, you have three people in the car that's actually listening to the rider radio. But isn't the other radios going off as well and people talking? And yeah. So sometimes, like, for instance, yeah, in the classics, the guy that's actually in the doctor seat, if I can call it that, he is the... That's the front passenger seat. Front yeah. passenger seat. And he's controlling the race radio. He's the second director. He's controlling the race radio, the rider radio, and the race itself. Mm. Um, and he normally turns the volume down from the race radio. Oh, okay. So we can actually listen what's going on Yeah. if something happens. Can you normally understand the rider radio pretty good? Or is it hard for you? It's know? hard. Because um, obviously... I think we have three speakers in the in the car. That's mm. actually the rider radio. So we're all going off at once. It's hard to listen. Okay, this is this guy. Mm. And like some of the races, I have a rider radio with me in my ear. Oh, and yeah. you can understand it better. Oh, yeah? You hear it directly. Oh. And it's not like an echoing or something else. Or if you ride over the cobbles and you don't have the wheels rattling in the side of you or yeah. the car's making a noise. So What about the rain bags? Do you hate when you get asked when you see the rain coming? Because that's a big part of your job too, to get all the rain bags. Yeah, up. it's it's something you have to adapt to is like the sphere's rain bags are actually nice. Yeah. It's more labelled up and like everyone understands where to put stuff. Um but it's also like some guys have something else that other riders don't have. Mm. And you're like, I want jacket X. And you're like, you start looking through all the stuff, all the pockets where the jacket should be. And then it's actually with the shoes. <laughs> and then like you have like the directors like, yeah, where's the jacket? Where's the jacket? And the rider's like waiting, waiting, waiting. Yeah, but it's like, you know, it, lucky enough, like all this stuff is now labeled as in rain bag wise and also everyone's got X amount of stuff yeah and it it just covers everything mm. um, do you feel so, the pressure when the rider's waiting there or you just you're good now with the pressure yeah I'm good but it's also like you don't like if they ask for anything or something you have to like look and you immediately have to find it that's mm. that, like my preferable preferences it's just I have to get it and just um, was that a shock for you when you first started going in the cars that pressure yeah it was because it was a lot of like in my first time in the car um, we didn't have rain bags for the riders so it's basically what they started with we collect the jackets in the start you put it all how you wanted to and then you're like uh, and then you find something that's not labelled you know, like riders wanting his jacket it's like Oh, just take this one they're all the same yeah where now it's actually like it's easy you pull out the rain bag you start looking okay you want this there you that's go that's done yeah right so, yeah. alright um, do you actually see anything in the car any races in from any race any part of the race it also depends on the car number we have um, but most of the time we have TVs in the car mm. and we can watch the race without being in the front or the third car normally in the race because that's car number one to see the race actually unfold and how they go. Um, but Do you look yeah. out the window when you're car number one and have a look at the race or not? We normally, the car normally drifts to a side, whichever side, yeah. and we can see what's happening and who's there, who's not there. Uh, but the main picture or the best quality of the peloton it's from is, the TV. is from the TV. We can spot exactly where everyone is, what's doing. 
going around and do you get scared in the car when they're driving ever no 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 it's it's even when the riders are all coming back from pisses and there's cars and riders and everything mixed up did you ever look out the window and go i don't even know how we're not hitting a rider here (laughs) so uh, yeah it is it's always something you have to look out you obviously the the second pair of eyes for the director oh yeah are you like uh, there's a rider behind us yeah it's not me it depends if the director wants that or not okay um i've been in a situation um where we almost lost a rider a couple of years ago he was behind he was behind he went to a race car um that changed my vision of being like a bike rider to a car Mm. like always be aware what's going around even if you're the mechanic and just prevent something that can happen or just alert the driver that the rider is on your right mm. or on your left and it basically it was a big shock it was like the second time in my life where it was actually a big 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 shock mm. um, from near death yeah, sure. And that just changed my mind. It's like, you know, I'm not going to leave the sport either as a rider or being a mechanic um, going to a race or, like, I'm going to give my everything. Yeah. And do everything I can possible. And, yeah, it's funny enough, it's 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 Keegan Girdlestone. Mm. You've probably heard yeah, that story. Yeah, Keegan, yeah. And that was a, a big change obviously for the whole cycling community but also as a for a rider but being as a staff member there for him it Mm. was yeah life changing life changing not to uh, talk uh, to to move across that point lightly it's a it's a a big it's a big point but it's um, do you what do you feel about hanging out of the window there when you're changing the stuff and, you know, putting the old oil on the chain? Yes. What are the tricks of the trade of getting there, us back? Yeah, there is some tricks you can do. Uh, probably not going to mention them because it's, it, well, you're not allowed to do it. Basically, it's a rule from the UCI. Yeah. As Look, you're you not d- obviously doing those tricks anymore, but what did no. they used to do back in the old days? You know, check the brake. Yeah. The whole thing was What would they do? Checking the brake. But how do you actually check the brake while the car's going fast and hold the bike up to speed? So you basically hold the rider, either on the seat post or on the back. You're checking the brake. If it's aligned, the brake can't move. Yeah. You're just checking. You give him extra momentum, giving some speed forward, (laughs) and then he's back like this in the peloton. (laughs) It's obviously after a crash too. Yeah, so. it's after something happened. Yeah. In general, but it's also. It's Is it hard though on you, on your body, when you're out of the car and the weight of the rider on you? Normally not, because you more you stable between the two, like the, actually the door and the window. Mm. Um, it can keep you from locked in. Locked in, but it's also like you have to trust your director, or your driver, to know okay you out of the car. So, like, if I swerve either way, that guy's out of the car. Yeah. And the rider's also gone. Is there some riders that are just stupid with that? Like, in terms of not just necessarily getting them back, but when they come next to the car, like, you can just feel they're not very good at it? Or are most riders pretty good? I would say, yeah, there's some that's actually, as I can call it, like, the newer pros. Mm. They're not familiar with that and how we do it. But then some, you guys, you get like, we can go, just step on the gas yeah. and keep going. Yeah. Um, but some is like, you know, really nervous. Mm, and so, it's so. also like, yeah. they don't have control over the bike. Yeah. Which makes it dangerous for you and dangerous for the rider. Yeah. Because so. you don't know which way they're going to go. <laughs> um, what about a wheel change? Like when you hear that puncher, you know, rear wheel Mitch... Obviously, you get the wheel. You know what wheel I've got, and yeah. then what's the what's your process then once you hear that call? So obviously, 
normally me for or I have two sets of well four yeah two sets of wheels mm. different types of wheels obviously if it's a disc brake bike or a rim brake bike and I normally preset the wheels at the start so I know exactly if that wheel comes out and this wheel goes in it's closed and you go mm. um, but the you preset pre- the quick release quick release yeah. basically and the big thing is the chain like getting the chain actually to drop on the right cog right cog but also like it's just everything goes smooth um, with the what's diff- the trick to that? it's just you have to know where you like where about do you take the wheel out if it's right at the top which is normally impossible to put like as in the biggest gear yeah so or, if it's in the big big chain ring and in the 25 cog is that difficult to get the wheel yeah, in now? it's difficult because your, your rear derailleur hasn't actually got a lot of movement yeah because obviously the chain is on tension your derailleur is on tension what are you going to do in that case? shift it down Quickly. Yeah, quickly. Okay. Um, obviously, you as riders, you stand and wait till you get on. And Should we shift it down for you? Yeah. What's the best gear to have the, it in the 11? Basically, all the way to the bottom. Even, the, depends. Depends where about is the the call being made. Yeah, like uh, if it's on a climb. But you're not going to be in the 11. Mm. In the 5311, it's uh, not going to get you very far. Mm. Even though you get a push from us, it's yeah. not going to help you yeah. going somewhere. So it's better to waste the one second while yeah. you change the gear. Yeah. 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 Right. And then what about with a bike change? Are you freaking out when you hear change of bike? Like, a good example is in the last race, one of the races we did uh, in the Classics, I was in a crash at the start of the race. Then I got back in the race, but I, yeah. I found out that my derailleur was actually bent. So I came back to you and you had a look at the derailleur and I was asking you out of the window, can you bend it back yourself? And you were yeah. like, I can't do that while we're going. We're going to have to stop. So we stopped. You try to bend it back quickly. And then I remember our director was like, we got to go, mate, because we were stopped on the side of the road for 30 seconds and we we're out the back of the race. Yeah. So we chased back on. And then I said, we're going to have to do a bike change. So we stopped again. And at that moment there, what do you have to do for a bike change? you look at where the bikes are? So normally we have beforehand, when we load the cars in the morning going to the bike race, we have allocation. If it's a single piece of paper, if it's a little card that you write on, you know where exactly where the bikes are from each different rider. And that just brings you a step forward going to the bike race, knowing if, for instance, you scoring a bike, you know exactly it's in the middle front mm. on the right-hand side. Um, like back in probably three, four years ago, the, there weren't any complete eight bike racks on the market. Mm. Where that's a new thing that came in about last year. Um, you have eight complete bikes. Now. I didn't know that. Yeah. So we every every rider has a complete bike. Complete bike. I thought there was still two bikes in the middle without no. a front wheel. No. So that basically changed for us. We have eight complete bikes. Huh. So that's a big thing. It's a big help, especially changing a rider's bike that's in the middle. You have to, oh mate, just take your wheel out so we can put it in. Mm. It saves a lot of time and also, yeah, the the space on top is a lot, lot closer now, like to the bikes, but it just it helps. It's oh, it's shit. a lot yeah. a lot efficient. All right, well, talking about the classics, let's talk about a bit of tech then. Yeah. You know, because the classics are all about the tech. You know, yeah. it's all the finicky little bits. You yeah. know. Does it frustrate you in the classics, working with all this minutia, you know, like all this, like, is it really making a big difference or do you really like all that technical stuff? For me, it's it's something new to the sport. Um, obviously, it's my first classics career mm. and um, well, I like the technical mm. stuff. Yeah. Um, coming from, 
obviously from the mountain bike background, whereas a lot in in mountain bike and to row, it just brings you back to being yourself and mm. like you have to be extra careful to what you do or point whatever bar of a tire of pressure mm. that's the thing you have to look on and you have to everything like possible you have to look after mm. and you you enjoy that I enjoy it it's you don't like, mind all this it's, stuff it's for me it's like interesting it's a challenge if I can put it that way so what is the difference between a normal road race and a classics race with the tyres what do you do differently a lot of the pressure differs mm-hmm. um, from a normal bi- normal race to to the classics. It's a lot to do with the tires, the pressure, and, for instance, gearing sizes, mm. which plays a big role in whichever race you're doing. Um, so for a race like Paris-Roubaix, yeah. do you run a straight block on the back in terms of from the 11, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 9, 20, 23. Is that what a Paris-Roubaix so cassette it, looks like? So it's 11, 25. Okay. Um, we're running in the uh, Roubaix, for instance. And obviously you don't need a 30 or a 32 in Roubaix. Yeah. Because it's pretty much flat. So it makes your jumps between the cogs a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. So you have more options, but also it's something just for Roubaix, which is interesting Yeah. to see and to know, okay, you do this and that. And and what is it, what are you missing there? A, twi- a, tw- a 20 and a 22? Yeah, something, it's not a big jump. Yeah. As I can put it from, a, probably from a, yeah, like you're saying, like a 22, 21. Yeah. Or a big jump is from a 20 to a 17 or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's all a small ratio that can maybe... And, we, and also have a, a bigger inside chain ring as well. Yeah, so it's 44 or uh, 53. And, uh, well, no, inside is 44 and a big chain ring is 53. Um, Why do they have a bigger in, inside chain ring for Paris Roubaix? It's something just different um, than running a fifty three across the board, because uh, obviously you want you want a higher cadence. Yep. And on the asphalt, you want a bigger, a slower cadence, but a bigger speed. Mm. Um, so it's it's a lot to do with what's happening. In the bike race and also you see the cause itself. Yeah. Because I always, I've been told that with a race like Paris-Roubaix, for instance, they run the a bigger inside chain ring. So when you go across the cobbles, you can run, you can also ride the small chain ring and you can keep the, the chain in line at the back rather than riding the big chain ring and running the 19 cog at the back, yeah. you do the small chain ring and run the 15. Yeah. So you keep the chain in line because with the amount of jumping around on the cobbles, you don't want any angle on the chain. Yeah, that's also that's a very valid point. Do you um, think that's true or not? Is that just... No, no, no. No, it's true. The, the straight... Is there more chance of it coming off the front chain ring if there's more angle on it? The chain, yes, I mean? Yes, yeah. Um... Always cross-chain causes friction, um, which can also cause problems. Yeah. Especially in Par- in Roubaix, you don't want that. Yeah. You want a straight line and it can give bring you forward. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, cross-chain never works. It is, it's bad for the whole drivetrain itself. Mm. Um, where a bigger inner ring makes it more... You can use your whole block at the back, but also run a straight line. Yeah. Which is good for Roubaix. Yeah. With the amount of cobbles, the the sectors, the everything just plays a big role on your drive train. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Talk me through the recons that we do for the classics. Are they an annoying thing? Because for me as a rider, we go and recon the course and it's about seeing the course, but it's also about testing the equipment. And actually testing the equipment, I don't know, really. It's about... Sometimes it's about hearing what other people say and it gets this whole big game, you know, because suddenly you, you had this idea in your head before you did the recon. You go out and do the recon and you're like, hang on. Yeah, maybe I will ride the uh, 28 mil tires, actually. Or maybe I will do four bar. So, like, I'm just one rider. You've got eight guys on these days coming up to you going, hey, JJ, <clears throat> can you do this on my bike? Can you actually, can you put a bit more pressure on my tires? Can you drop the seat a little bit? Oh, actually, can you put the seat back up? What are those days like for a mechanic? It's basically, it's a testing day. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, it, all in all, it's just a testing day. As in equipment, as in pressure-wise, you have, you have failures maybe on the, on the recon days with the bike itself or any other thing. But it's something that also prevents you from not having that in the race mm. that you can cure mm. going forward. Is it testing for you though, mentally? Like, okay, mate, I'll do it. Or are you just completely fine with it? No, it's fine. It's it's at least you know it's going to happen now and yeah. not in the race, oh, yeah. which is a big thing for us because you don't want that situation in the race, which is. Something. Do you feel bad when stuff goes wrong with a bike, and you think? I know it's probably not my fault, but something's happened with the bike, and I just feel bad anyway. Yeah, I do, like, I feel bad because, like, for me, it's like, you know, the rider couldn't do this because of the bike. Yeah. And it's mainly, it's like, without a bike, the rider's going nowhere. Yeah. And that's why I was like, I always make sure I have everything covered Mm. to give the best to the rider because I know they will give the best to us. You hope that. You hope that, but it's also, even not, it's still, you know, a happy rider is a happy mechanic. Yeah, that's true, that's true. So today, as in today's day and age, there's so many bikes, so many wheels, so much selection. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for a mechanic, or in general? Yes and no. Um, no, because there's no going forward way, as in what is the ultimate bike for all around. Mm. There's always this, always, always that. Um, but in, like, yes, it's something that you guys use, which will be available for the public. Mm. And that's in the other swing of things for the manufacturers to make money to sponsor the the teams do you like working on all the different styles of bikes does that excite you that you're not just working on one bike it's exciting to work on a system six an aero bike and then suddenly the next day you're working on a a synapse which is a roubaix bike yeah it's something different it's for me it's like as i said it's like always a challenge there's always something new to a different bike mm. that you're not aware of or you don't know, mm. and you pick it up going forward. And now you know the next time when you work at that, on that bike, you're like, you know, yes, look at this. It's making you a better mechanic. It keeps the job interesting. It, it keeps it interesting, and it just it builds your mechanic background a lot better mm. with working if you have just working on a bike for your whole career yeah. and working on different ones, you learn with every bike there's something else. There's like a trick of the trade, Yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. Well, speaking of different bikes, I'm thinking about the worst possible day for a mechanic has got to be the team's time trial day. What is that day like? That day is busy. <laughs> um... It's not just one rider or seven riders. 
it's seven riders at one time. Yeah. Which goes into a lot of preparation, getting all the bikes ready as for the race, the spare bikes, and now everything is going smooth. All bikes are in the correct measurements. Oh, yeah, you see our measurements. Measurements. Because that can also be, you can measure it wherever, in the hotel or in the service course, but the jig stands as the jig from the UCI. Yeah. It can never change. If it's not in the limits, it's not in the limits. So you have to change it if it's wrong. Have you had one? Because to explain to everyone who doesn't know, a time trial bike has to have fit inside the UCI regulations. Yes. And the bike has to be measured how long before the start? So normally we have a, a pre-check, yeah, which is not the official check. So the official check is normally when the rider goes to the start. Which is about five minutes before you before start. Before you start. But the pre-check is like when the jig is open and there's officials there to check the bikes. We normally go, we check every bike. If we have to change stuff, we change it. If we're not, we leave it as is, which saves a lot of time, five minutes before the start, but also it keeps the rider calm. It's not, not, well, you don't have the stress of like, my bike is not working. Have you ever had a bike five minutes before the start not fit? No, not <laughs> yet. <laughs> is there... Is there a, between the mechanics, because between the riders, obviously we've, it's a pretty small bunch at the end of the day. Is it between the mechanics, I'm thinking it's even a smaller crew. Is there a bit of reputation between all the mechanics? You know who the good mechanics are. Is there a bit of the king of the mechanics? Normally, yes. You normally have like, you have experienced ones and you've non-experienced ones. You basically can see it, like, as a book. You can't... What? Out on the road, or how do you see it? Like, just in general, the the work quality, um, going into the details of the bike, um, so you can pick it up immediately. What, when you see other teams' bikes? Yeah, like, for me, like, the big thing I can pick it up is bar tape. Yeah. If it's rolled, the spacing is, like exactly the same compared to it's just been wrapped on and like you know crappily wrapped yeah but it can have a perfectly functioning bike but for me it's just like you know if you put all that last detail into that you know okay this guy's knowing what he's doing yeah that's a good one all right we've got a few questions that people have sent in um first one here are the quality of the bike parts better today or 20 or 30 years ago? The quality of the bike parts. I believe <laughs> the bike parts, this is my opinion, you can answer it, sorry. I believe the bike parts are better in terms of lighter, can do yeah. different things, whatever, but is, is the quality better? Sure, this is a tricky one. Um, like I agree with you, it's it's lighter, it functions better, but is the quality really good? Seems From like my ch- side, yeah. I will go fifty fifty on this. Mm. Um, you know, you you have all your manufacturers out there, but it's it's really, you know, stuff can break like by a click, mm. and. If you're not like, and it's not like the old back in the days it were good, it was functioning, it was a lot stronger. Mm. But going forward, like, is it really worth the weight, worth the, the price you pay for the stuff? Yeah, that's the difference. I think in the professional career, when you can just replace something tomorrow, yeah, that's okay. But when you're just at home using your own stuff and you have to replace. For instance, the chain that might run out after, you know, a thousand K. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an expensive (laughs) hobby. Yeah, no, it is for sure. Um, But to get... It's actually a really hard question, like, to just, like, think of it. But, uh, 
you know, there's always, it's like a new car. It's better, but is it actually reliable? Yeah, that's, that's the big yeah, yeah, that's the big question about it. All right. How do you clean a chain and cassette and keep it looking clean? This is probably the, the, the million dollar question. I don't think you can keep it clean. How do you, how do you, how do you actually clean the chain and cassette? So we normally use a degreaser. Just straight up degreaser? Degreaser yeah. from, there's a couple of manufacturers out there. What would you guys use? Uh, we sponsored by Dyman- Dynamic, oh, yeah. um, which is a sponsor of the team. Um, you get different brands on the market. I thought but some guys use just diesel. Yeah, you can actually use diesel or... Like, the big thing is about diesel, it's got a oil based in it. Yeah. So it actually doesn't clean that well. Ah. Where petrol, it's actually, it really cleans the chain, but it also dries the chain out okay. really, really so you need a lot of lube after. Yeah, but obviously you can replace that. But it, yeah. if you, like, that cleans it pretty well. Does it? Yeah. Oh. If you don't have the the, the, the greaser, greaser itself. Petrol. Petrol. or di- right, Diesel you can use, but petrol is like, it cleans it like. Is there a way to keep it clean? No. Like, you can, like, clean it every day like we do. But it's also, once you put the oil on the chain, it's... It's, it's inevitable. It's, it's, yeah, you're not going to have that. What about high-pressure hoses on bikes? Is that a goer? And if you do do it, are there parts of the bike that you shouldn't put your high-pressure hose? Yeah, that, that's obviously, that's a good question. Um, we use high-pressure hose. Yeah. I mean, it cleans the bike then better than a normal hose. Um, cleans the chain out but yeah there is some parts like on the road bike um, bearing wise you don't going to go directly with high pressure hose into the front into the front and the steerer mm. or in the bottom bracket okay you spray over it but not directly in it yeah um, what the about s- the headset yeah the same with that you don't you spray over it not directly in it okay. um, in it that means because that pressure goes in a bearing very quickly and, and wrecks it yeah, yeah. can you tell if a mechanic a ship mechanic is just spraying in can you feel it when you're playing with the bearings the next day probably not the next day but two days after that wash you'll start noticing yeah. something what's going on here all yeah. these wheels are shit yeah. now yeah. yeah okay um, does a mechanic ride with the riders on a rest day? No. <laughs> we have something else to do on the rest day. Rest? Um, yes, but also we have other stuff to prepare. Yeah. But um, for instance, like in a big tour, rest day is normally, it's not a complete off day for us, but it's a working day. You clean spare bikes. You go clean everything that you can do. You repair something that needs to be repaired. Mm. Um, that saves you a lot of time for the up and coming days, mm. but also it helps you not being every day's work by influencing you have to still do this or do that. Yeah. Gluing tires. Yeah, gluing tires, preparing basically for the next or up and coming days. So you basically change just something else. Well, new tyres, for instance, for across the, the race bikes. Is that a hated job? Taking old tyres off, putting tyres on? No, because it, it can be happen today or it can ha- happen on the race day. Mm. Um, if you punch, you have to replace it anyways. Yeah, but is, do you hate doing that job? No, it's, oh. it's, it's, it's easy. It's easy. It's something yeah. you have to do. Because yeah, um, right. without a tyre, your bike won't ride. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, are disc brakes making wheel changes harder? Is it easier to just do a bike swap? Wheel changes on a disc brake is hard. It's harder than a normal change, as a normal rim brake. Um, but it also depends 
which part of the race you have to change at will. Bar change is always quicker, mm. um, no matter what. Mm. Um, with a disc brake? Disc brakes. Not with a rim brake though? No, rim brake is, it, you have mm. the wheels and it can go in and out. Where some bikes have a, a straight through axle, where we are lucky enough with the System 6, they have a, like basically a th- quick through axle release system on it, mm. which a couple of turns and the wheel drops out. Because oh. it's not actually... Oh, yeah, it's not a hole. It's like not a big a hole. release. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. What is the most absurd rider, rider request on a bike that you can think of? Move your saddle one millimeter. <laughs> There's no judgment to that. You can't judge it with the eye or by feeling. You will one never millimeter. one millimeter. You will never get. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, on the back of that, the good question: riders consists consistently fussing over bike measurements. Does that does that get frustrating? Yes, it, like you know, obviously you want to help them out. You want to get the best position, but for instance, there's a big thing of racing the same bike through all the races now all of a sudden in one race you have to change your spare bike and it's not correct um, which can literally make a race or break your race Yeah. Um, just as a rider perspective just that mental block you know you don't have my shifters at the right place or this or that but if whose fault is that? the riders? Mainly the mechanic's fault, because it'll always come back to us. But if a rider changes something else um, in a different race and he's coming in for this race, yeah, and he gets this bike and it's not correct. He uh, should have told the mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. To know exactly, okay, now I'm actually riding my shifters a little bit to the left or to the right or inside or a little bit up or down which can affect you as a rider Mm. yeah well on that how do you keep track of all the different bike positions so we basically have a we have a measuring sheet for each and different model like different models of the bike and if stuff gets changed or like for instance Material-wise changes, handlebars or stems, um, we inform, we have a group of, as mechanics in our team that we inform it as, okay, rider X is moving to this and that. With like, this. for instance, Mitch is going to now ride this saddle. Yeah. And you inform them and all the bikes then need to have this saddle on. Yeah. Okay. So basically, once we have from a mechanic or as a rider requesting this saddle we have to make sure okay each and every bike's got this on but also if it's during a race or a rider pitch up with with his home seat post with the saddle on we have to measure the bike to know exactly okay if it's going to the next race and there's a different mechanic he knows okay he's got this saddle with this measurements yeah so it's pretty been, much looking after your other mechanics yeah when you go there that you're not in the dark and then, then you know hey what the hell JJ never told me this yeah basically you cover for your your colleagues yeah um, helping them out and they don't look like an idiot an idiot basically because you don't want that either no because it's in general they will do something for you mm. by maybe the next race or the year after that saves your ass. Yeah, exactly. And it's always, the wheel always turns. That's my saying. It's, it, what goes what around comes, comes around. around. All right, I've got my last question yeah. here. In your opinion, what is the most important thing that has to be right on a bike about every, above everything else? So you know the bike's going out, you don't have much time, but you go in your mind, I know that that has to be correct. It's the most important thing. 
I should say breaks. Mm. Breaks is the most important for me. Because without that... What happened to my break yesterday? <laughs> my a, my rear brake wasn't working. Yeah, obviously. Like, that's why we have recons. <laughs> to, to solve the problems like that. Um, but for me, it's like, if you don't have brakes, good luck. What about what about the the gears? They got to be charged up. Yeah, but you can still manage. You can still go forward. Yeah, that's true. But you could like you have to stop and somehow if you stop with uh, going into a wall, you stop by having brakes. You have to stop. You're lucky we had two brakes on the bike. I still yeah, had one. Yeah, for sure. Mate, well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks really for appreciate having me. it. Yeah. Hope everyone uh, enjoys your knowledge. Yeah, thank you for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I hope that gave you a little insight to what life is like on the road as a pro team mechanic. Make sure you go and check out Wide Angle Podium, like I said at the start of the episode, at wideanglepodium.com, and check out some of their other episodes there too. Once again, I want to say thanks to my producer behind the scenes, Lara, for helping me put things together. Until next time, guys, thanks for tuning in. I'm Mitch Stocker. Cheers. Cheers.